Hey, 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 SEO This Week, episode 205. Thank you all for joining me. I appreciate you. A little bit late uh, right now, but better late than never, I guess. Oh, <laughs> uh, what we do today is some uh, some new stuff. We'll probably keep this episode short and sweet. You notice no music or anything like that. Nothing fancy. I just I want to do, um, do the show and... Uh, from there um so hold on one second do one more thing and then we'll talk about some articles that came out that are actually pretty good i you know honestly the new stuff i kind of want to get away from it but you know you know it, it works so why change what works right uh, let's see here let's share the screen there you go See the the workings. <laughs> uh, all right, so let's go into the story. So keyword mapping. Uh, I did a topic on keyword um, keyword clusters versus topic clusters. In this case, it's a keyword mapping uh, spreadsheet. It just kind of, you know, it's handy. Uh, the um, the quote unquote white hat corporate SEO space has actually started talking about this stuff now. Um, you know, Michael from Surfer, uh, Leo from Keyword Cupid. Uh, and a bunch of other people have talked about keyword mapping for quite some time, and now all of a sudden it's a popular and, and legitimate way to do business. Um, and it's a just a fancy name for, for setting up your pages and writing about the proper keywords and helping you um, bust out the topics versus the keywords, etc., or do your content outlines. So if you want to know more about that, just check out the other episodes that I did. Uh, and, and, and here you get... Uh, Alida Solis, you get her her idea on what uh, keyword mapping is, how she does it, and then the spreadsheet that goes along with it. Spreadsheet's actually really cool. If you don't want to do, um, you know, you don't want to get something like Keyword Cupid uh, or you don't want to use the feature inside a surfer or those just aren't exactly 100% what you want, then uh, going to the spreadsheet is kind of the de facto. I know a lot of people actually start off in the spreadsheet. Either way, it, it doesn't matter as long as you're doing it and it'll help you build out your content calendars or build out a, uh, a content brief for writers if you're ordering content, etc. So uh, I would check this out. You know, if you don't want the spreadsheet itself, obviously there's an example there. Uh, she gives you, and it's in uh, Google Drive. Uh, there's some different, I want to say, layouts that you can implement. Uh, Ten, um, and, and for example, like if you're going into, let's say, her her example here, it's product pages, categories. There's informational, transactional, transactional, navigational. That's the query intent. And then you have this patterns to target. And, you know, that may be, I, I mean, like it's good information, right? But at the at the end of the day, you're when you're doing uh, e-commerce, for example, that do you really need to do all that each for each keyword? By default, you know you're going to do category name. It's going to go into buy category name, buy category name in the product online, and then maybe category name in site. And those are, and that's for the for the um, for the category pages. But you're not going to optimize for all of those specifically. 
Um, and more to the point, like you're going to optimize for headphones, buy headphones, buy headphones online, and buy headphones on your brand, like the example that they say here. So really, in her spreadsheet, I would say that probably four of those columns are probably not what you want. It's not a bad thing. It's not a bad place to start for sure, especially if you're actually talking about um, you're building a brand new site and e-com has never been into you. Then by all means, go and, and look at this uh, and, and put that together. You can also do one of these kind of changing that variation up. There's a product categories or sub product pages are in here. And let's see what else I got. Subcategory audience pages. There's a, there's a ton of different examples in there that are kind of cool. But let's think of your a um, an affiliate, right? So your product category um, or even your product page. Let's say we're just going to go with your page and your product page. Um, some things you can do is informational would be the affiliate's name, right? And then transactional, buy, bonus, um, review, review online, and then navigational. Maybe not so much navigational unless you have a, a decent-sized um, website that can compete with some of those brand names. Uh, but you can do this with affiliate or whatever. It's Again, I... I you this is probably in the layout that it is right now a great setup for just starting out with um an e-com site but um go to that sheet that i made or i showed you in the topic clusters get a keyword cupid report uh, or make your own uh, and I think you're going to get a little bit more out of that because you'll be able to put together your mind maps, mapping out your site structure uh, based off your topic clusters and then going down in your topic clusters and your keyword clusters to make a whole lot. That'll make everything a whole lot smarter of a process for you, in my opinion. So uh, check this out. Not, not bad information, uh, but could be a little bit more useful for uh, local people. Uh, okay, so the next one is understanding the magic behind Google's price drop results. This is from Brody Clark. It's Brody Clark Consulting. He's got decent content over there. I don't know if you noticed it, but um, what Google is doing and some of the things is saying, uh, putting a typically price uh, inside of the featured or re the snippet, the rich snippet re inside of the search results. I don't know if this is really a good thing or a bad thing. Like from a consumer perspective, if you are, um, let's say you're buying this I, Roomba and the price on the page is $800 and then Google rats out, <laughs> and I say rat because it's coming from the consumer perspective, rats out the business says, hey, look, they raised the price up. Uh, it typically, it's $400 and before it was like, I don't know, or it's eight hundred now. Before it was four hundred. Uh, in this case, it's four hundred. Typically, is five seventy six. But where is the the information coming from? And Google says that it's going to be um, from structured data, right? And I don't really see in his example, and I don't didn't see any in the examples in the uh, results saying that. The, the price structure is actually coming from structured data. So if you write structured data and 
you change the price again, um, where is where is that coming from? Like, and he's got some examples in here, et cetera, uh, that kind of highlight the same question that I have is if you don't say that this price is typically here's here's one Phillips Advent Natural is eight seventy nine is typically eleven dollars. If you don't say in schema that it's typically eleven dollars, where are they getting that from? Uh, are they doing all the prices and they're gathering all that price information, figuring out the averages, and then putting that in there and saying, look, this is typically eleven dollars. These sites have it for eight seventy nine. So where did the eleven dollars come from? Who's who's messing it up, uh, et cetera? And this also kind of it's kind of a race to the bottom, right? For uh, a lot of things. Um, if, for example, let's go do page speed optimization. If I do page speed optimization, and I'm going to just kind of say, throw this out there, like for $4.97. I'll optimize your WordPress website for $4.97. Uh, and then the average price everywhere else is $1.97. The, is Google going to show that? There or are they going to show a uh, a block that says one ninety seven to four ninety seven is the average? Uh, that's not really sure. It's not in the documentation, um, but it would be uh, really interesting to see if they go uh, go through that whole process. Um, I'm I'm not sure. Like from the consumer side of me, I'm happy with this. From the marketer side, I'm not entirely sure what they're going for. Um, but then again, more consumers click on ads and more marketers, so that makes sense that, that Google would would do this. I just think it would be a fair way for marketers uh, and business owners to kind of leave that in there. And if you're always going to have a price, like especially if you're doing sales, like a Black Friday thing. And your price is typically eleven dollars, and you dropped it to nine. Um, you should be able to say that versus the price competing with other um, dealers or other people who are selling that product. So uh, definitely something to check out. I check out this article from Brody. It's really good, really well written, written, uh, and just kind of makes you add some questions. Uh, hey JS, how you doing? Thanks for watching. Okay, just make sure that's still showing. Sweet. All right, so this one is when and how to disavow backlinks. I recently released a couple of videos uh, on creating a disavow file, and I did an update on that video. I did another video to kind of update as well. Um, so check those out. What uh, I kind of wanted to point out here is just kind of his process of going through it. And he's got this cool little flow chart and stuff. Um, and I actually kind of agree with this, right? So it's either, you know, make a judgment call at the end of the day. Make a judgment call or be a little bit proactive and do the disavow thing. So, um, and then there's the option for, for don't disavow, right? So, the standard recommendation that I always gave, gave considering the disavow file is if you don't have a manual penalty yet, don't do the disavow file. There's no, there's no need for it. Then I had to kind of change my tune a little bit because I saw a negative SEO attack on Digitaleer. You guys know I talk about my agency site all the time. I use that site for case studies. I've built a over-the-shoulder training for SIA for it. 
And inevitably, when you do that, there's some asshole that decides they want to negative SEO your website. Um, and and so what happened was that that site had a, a whole bunch of backlinks from a network that, in my estimation, is probably coming from uh, a competitor in the WordPress speed optimization space. If you all remember um, when PageSpeed became a you know, important to people. Um, before that, I was selling uh, PageSpeed optimization services. As a matter of fact, I was probably one of the only ones doing it. Um, that's a little egotistical, sure, but I think there's probably maybe two or three people that I know of that were actually doing it, but no one was really marketing it, and no one was certainly trying to rank for it. It was PageSpeed optimization uh, and, you know, there was only a couple of players. Well, now there's a, there's a whole bunch of people. Um, people realize that it's a, it's a good gig. Um, WordPress page speed optimization in and of itself is not hard. Um, 90% of it is at the host level, meaning buy a good host, and you've taken that, taken care of 90% of the, the problem. Uh, and the rest of it is, a st- is setting up a cache plugin, an Im- image optimization plugin, uh, and uh, you're off to the races with a good site. Um, sure, there's some stuff for PHP. You can update your PHP. You can clean your databases and all that stuff. There's, you know, but at the end of the day, uh, WordPress optimization is buy a good host, get a caching plugin, and optimize your images. That's WordPress optimization. Don't let anyone tell you any different, right? So what this trunk monkey did was create a link network uh and most of it is from india domains uh and they built links from those indian domains on in content that is you know at the end of the day it's not it's not like the best content to be let's be fair um but if the domains were actually halfway decent and the anchor text wasn't uh, exact match or some stupid variation, then I might have actually got a benefit from it. But what happened is I didn't I didn't build backlinks to Digital Ear because I do keep it public, uh, and in, inevitably there's either there's a narc SEO out there everywhere that loves just taking people down because you know God forbid someone ranks uh, ahead of them. So they, they do that narc SEO crap just so they can feel smarter. Um, so I don't typically build backlinks to digital ear. And because I don't do that, uh, you'll see that those exact match and partial match bad links from India actually resulted in a drop in the page. Long story short, I ended up doing a, couple of videos showing you the disavow process and how I do it. Um, had I been more proactive and paying attention to my link profile, um, I probably would have caught that earlier and I could have kept up with it with the disavow file and I wouldn't have had the effect that it had. The effect was dropping the page from page one. It was like number 10, I think, um, all the way to number 30. Uh, actually it went all the way down to like 60. Then I did the disavow file and came back to 30. I updated the disavow file with new links and it's roughly sitting around 30. So the disavow file recovered 20th to 30th positions for me. Uh, but at the, but the damage is done. 
Um, and it's not going to return it unless I start building backlinks to that page. Um, so the lesson there is do disavow files and just stay up to date and proactive with what you're doing. You don't have to be, um, you know, buying a link research tool subscription for a thousand bucks a month and plugging those in there, but you can just stay a little bit proactive, find some of the nasty stuff. Inevitably, we all get a little nasty stuff as we're walking around through the internet. Just think of it that way. Um, and you can, um, keep, keep that up to date. And it just gives another signal to Google, Hey, this website has a disavow file. They're taking care of their link profile. Um, and you're less likely to get some algorithm drama, uh, when you have that disavow file in place protecting you uh, a little bit. So check this article out. Go check out those other two videos that I created. They're posted on the YouTube channel uh, and uh, show you the disavow file and what I do to get the um, the disavow file recrawled. Uh, again, you don't have to have link research tools, but link research tools really makes all this stuff helpful. There are disavow tools now in Majestic, Ahrefs, SEM, Rush, and according probably Moz too. Um, but at the end of the day, don't rely just on one of those services. You gotta you have to to, to max them up. I for mine that I just created when we started off with SEMrush, do we want to Ahrefs and Majestic and combine the disavow files from all three of those tools? There's going to be some overlap. Um, if you do it in link research tools, again, it's it's pretty expensive. Uh, but there's 22 different sources. Plus, you can input your own sources sources from Majestic Ahrefs, Moz, and Search Console and stuff and get the best uh, disavow file uh, possible. And then there's a tool called Link Detox Boost. And essentially what it's doing is the same thing that I'm doing with Colinkery in my videos and getting those backlinks recrawled so that the disavow file is um, actually applied uh, to uh, to the page that it's uh, being pointed at. So there's that. Any questions on that? I don't see no questions popping up. Good, 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 good. Topic of the day. Do citations still matter for local SEO? And I'm going to scroll down here. I want to see his conclusion. And I'll be honest, I'm going to be really totally up for, for debate. There you go. That's it. Totally up for debate. So here's uh there, here's 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 my stance. So Darren says this totally up for debate, and really I kind of disagree. So and I, and I've always disagreed with some of the things that people are saying about citations and etc. Um, because most of that information was designed to not necessarily get you ranked. It was designed to tie your business name to an address in so much as so that when it was tied to the address, you ranked higher for the maps. That's where the name, address, phone number, or NAP uh, became uh, a popular coin term to to drop around everywhere, right? And let me stop this off so you guys can see my happy face. There we go. Um, so you have this, you have this, this tour, this term nap. So we, and, and so we started building citations and really what is, what was it? It was directories, right? So you can either go out and pay bright local white spark, uh, to build them manually. You can teach a, uh, 
virtual assistant to do it. You can get a um, uh, a Fiverr gig, or you can go pay Yext. And now you can pay SEMrush, who pays Yext, and you get it a lot cheaper. Um, and and at the what we were doing was getting in those directories, and we were building citations. Uh, because everyone told us to, and we needed to do it for rankings, and and ultimately the number one lore was we needed to. Um, I was chasing a fly. We need to uh, actually go and um, get the maps ranked, and that's what the nap was for, right? So, um, and then there became this differentiator: uh, structured citations and unstructured citations. The only difference between the two is an unstructured citation does not have a backlink to your website. The theory behind that going is you can go out and publish a whole bunch of content and then put your address in there and you get an unstructured citation uh, that Google reads and associates with your address and kind of helps prove your legitimacy. Um, I don't know if those works or not. I've never did a test between uh, structured and unstructured, in particular for the maps, because I never saw citations really help my maps. Um, what citations are doing uh, now and then, uh, in my opinion, are getting your entity established. Uh, and by entity meaning you're saying, hey, Google, here's my business. There goes my phone. Uh, here's my business, and I want you to uh, acknowledge it as a real business. And then you get the knowledge graph and you get the machine readable ID number and all that stuff. And now your business is an entity, person, place, thing, entity. Uh, and the citations actually help you do that. They help you do that a lot. The, there's some added benefits of knowing how to rank those citations, not only in, uh, in Google, but within those platforms themselves. If you can do that, you get gener- you generate leads, traffic, and sales, right? Um, but the there's not enough time spent inside of those sites to actually figure out the process. I know some people that say I can rank I can rank my listings in Yelp all day long. That's great. If you can figure that out, if you really want to make a little bit of short term money just and, and and pay off of that, uh teach a little course, how to rank in Yelp, how to rank in yellow pages, how to get number one in super pages. Um and and so um all that to say is at the end of the day citations do matter. Um but are they more than just naps? Are they more than entity establishment? And I would argue that yes. Most of those citation sites had no follow backlinks. When Google changed the official announced rules on no follow, and after our testing, we know that no follow is passing link juice. Maybe not always the same amount of link juice that a do follow post or link will follow, but. Google is still using them. They're saying it themselves. They're using it as a hint. The testing has shown that they are passing juice through them. Testing has shown you can pass uh, tier one juice through them, uh, etc. So I still say that you should be doing these. Um, even if you don't get traffic and stuff from them, you should be doing them for the backlinks and you should be doing them for the entity establishment, saying this is a real thing, this is a, new, a real business. Not, the NAP stuff, name, address, phone number, doesn't necessarily always have to be 100% on point. Um, as long as uh, it's, it's really the logo 
Google Lens is reading that, and it's uh, or Vision, whatever they're calling it these days. I'm pretty sure it's still Lens. At least it is on my phone. Um, they're reading that, and they know that the logo is associated with your brand after they see it plenty of times, and the and the two you know put together. Um, and and the nap stuff hasn't really played a part in in rankings beyond uh, associating with cities and stuff like that. If you want to do that, so. If you have some bad stuff and you have some bad nap, it's not necessarily something that you have to go update right now. It's going to help you rank better. It's not going to. Um, but it could be conversions on that website to address. Uh, the, for me, the important thing is those backlinks and the entity establishment. And I've already talked about entities, so let's go with the backlink thing. Is You're creating mostly new nofollows. Talked about that. You can use those as tier ones. So if you're in the uh, in a game where you have to be really, really careful because there's a lot of narc SEOs in your market, um, then you should be using those tier ones as buffers. Uh, and you should build, be building out the brand network. Um, and that will... And you do that, part of that is the citations. Uh, and, and you can send your, your link juice and your link building methods to those citation sites that can take it a little bit more, a little more understandable, and they will pass that juice through, even though it's a nofollow link uh, to your website. As a side note, if it's a sponsored link, it's, it's not going to pass juice. Don't waste your time. But if it's a nofollow link, it'll pass juice. Um, and so... You know, there's still some uses for the citation stuff. I think every business should be on sites like Wet, uh, Yelp and Super Pages, uh, et cetera, because there's still people using them. There may not be a lot of people on directory sites anymore. There may not be a lot of people using Yellow Pages anymore, but there's still people using it. Don't let people fool you, fool you um, to think that they're not. You know, I'm a digital marketer, and I still pick up a phone book every once in a while. It may be every once in a great while, but there's still people using these things, uh, and the and the Yelps and all those citation sites are still essentially the digital yellow pages, uh, and a lot of those pages are still ranking well in uh, in um, in Google. Not as much as sites like Home Advisor and Angie's List, who claim to be doing um, contractor checks and all that other stuff um, and that have unwritten agreements with Google, be my guess, uh, on why those are ranking higher and uh, than everyone else's, despite the fact, you know, that there's no local businesses in the search results. But necessarily those aren't typically normal citations that anyone would get anyway. Um, so, I don't know. It's all you all know, think about it. I I would do citations. Uh, I was just told the other day that the ones you can get from Semrush, which is Yex reseller package, are twenty bucks a month. I believe I haven't looked into it, but twenty bucks a month for Yex is a no brainer. Throw your clients in there, do some updates. Um, maybe you get some other features. I'm not sure if they have the full duplicate depression and adding videos like you can get if you're a Yext reseller yourself. Um, but it's it's definitely worth it, especially if you're doing you know some client work and stuff like that. Those are easy deliverables. 
to get punched out. If you're doing this stuff for your own business, it's an easy task to get done, and it's 20 bucks a month. I mean, you spend more than that on coffee. Um, so why not get the backlinks, authority, dimensions, and all that stuff uh, kicked out from your citations? All right, so answer the question. Do citations still matter for local SEO? Yes. <laughs> All right, let's see. Uh, and we'll just close it out with questions from the audience. Elton Musa, so would you build citations and give it GMB for affiliate sites to building out an entity? You know, there's some untested claims that if you have a GMB that uh, is tied to a location for your affiliate site, you could potentially... Um, tie that into that location and your traffic will go down. And there's honestly, Bill Hartzer is the only one that I've seen say that I haven't seen any proof or one way or the other. Um, I have, I do know that Ted Kabitis ran a test on his, the traffic didn't go up or down as far as I understand, um, whether he had the map or not. I believe his traffic was actually higher when he had the map, uh, and he wasn't in the physical location. So that's essentially what you're doing with the uh, the affiliate thing. I would probably lean more towards uh, the citations uh, to a corporate office. I wouldn't mess with the maps, especially if it's an affiliate play, because the way affiliate sites should probably be made are not locale anyway. Um it, so, I mean, you could try the map, and you'll kick in a uh, entity a little bit faster, for sure. Um, but I mean, it's just how much is work that work to keeping that map alive and all that stuff. If you get into a competitive affiliate market, you got the map, you get the entity, and all that stuff, and then some goomba comes and gets your map taken down for you. You got to start all over where you could have just did it with citations and some branding sites on Twitter, Facebook, Pinterest, and Instagram, and you would have been all right. Gene Pappas, I only use citations so that when you Google the business, the first two pages are about the business. Yep, it's branding. That's a branding play. Uh, it's also a preemptive reputation management play. If you get all those in place and you get them all supported with backlinks and stuff, it keeps a lot of the reputation management noise out of there uh, and saves a lot of things, a lot of issues. Let's see. Same goes with geotagging images. I don't do geotagging much more because most sites these days are just ripping it out anyway. Um, there's an argument to be made that like Google, Google rips out for all of their products. Um they only have, I think there's only one or two of their products where they keep it in there anymore. Um, but for the most part, they rip it out of all the products. And then people, there is an argument that made is, oh, well, they read it first. If they're ripping it out, I don't I see any reason why they would waste resources reading it. Um, so unless your website, in your case, your specific website does not use an image optimization that rips EXIF data... Um, you would put it on your website. We've done some testing on that, and it didn't move the needle one way or the other. Uh, certainly something that has to be retested again. 
if you're putting EXIF data on there so you can upload it to Google Posts and Google Photos, I think Google Photos keeps it. I think that's the service that they have that keeps it. It used to be Palm, Palm, Palmetto or some craziness like that. They, they deleted that service. Um, but I'm pretty sure Google Photos keeps it. If you're putting it in your Google GMB photos, you're putting it in a GMB post, it's all ripped out. It's all ripped out. Oh, let's see. Yeah, so Gene said like he's not much benefits from what he's seen. It's, tr- it's true. There's not. Um, there are sites that keep it. Flickr is a good one. Um, Pinterest, I haven't tested yet to see if they're keeping it. Uh, what else? And there's there's a there's a small amount of them that keep it. Most of the professional photographer image share type sites, they'll keep it because they use that access data to kind of. Um, highlight and keep track of their images and all that stuff. Let's say, JS, at the end of the day, it's all about relevancy and establishing trust. Citation will build that, and when combined with schema, that's gold. Bingo, right there. Um, Yep. (laughs) Enough said. (laughs) Sam, what are your thoughts on content versus links competition? In your opinion, which would win? Uh, I'm assuming you're talking about the one over at SEO Signals Lab. I don't go in there very often anymore unless I'm tagged just because um, if they, you know, their moderators are on the the woke path. Um, So if you say anything that they disagree with or um, they get you uh, your post removed or if you point out things that their moderators or their Friends of the moderators are doing that isn't totally wrong. They remove your posts. So that said, I don't go in there uh, all that often. I have seen some screenshots from that from my, my mastermind. Those guys were talking about it uh, a little bit. I've seen some of the work that the on-page guy um, was doing. I guess Kyle Rufus help, helping them out with that, and they created their silo structure and all that stuff uh, for them. It's interesting, you know, competition versus links. Uh, I have shown uh, an instance where I ranked the page uh, with just the content, content optimization, uh, with my content optimization process. I rank generally well um, just doing just content without links. But anything with real competition, uh, I a real SEO, they're working with, and competing against you um, has been my experience that you're not going to do it with just uh, just content alone. So, uh, but that being said, who am I to say that a competition is, is not worthwhile? It's you know it's definitely worthwhile. You can learn some cool things. You learn some, especially if they document it properly uh, and show what they did uh, and and how how they did it. Then I say um, go for it. Why not have a competition, right? Who do I think will win? My guess is it's probably going to be the Lynx guy. Assuming that the Lynx guy knows what he's doing or she's doing with the anchor text selection, uh, that page is going to win. Because there's nothing in there that says, from from what I understand from the screenshots, there's nothing in there that says that the the Lynx guy um, can't optimize his page. Title tag, uh, headings, uh, keyword density from my understanding none of that's not in there and he's going to have that basic seo 
combined with the links. And if you smart anchor text, he's gonna, they're going to win. Uh, what about schema injection into images? It only works if the site does not mess with the image. If the site rips out any of the metadata, any of the IPC data, does any of the optimization, all that's ripped out. Um, even if you're using a hex it code inject image, uh, if you ch- if you alter that image in any way, the hex code of the injected schema or article or whatever it was it was, all gets ripped out. Uh, I've tried it on like thirty different plugins to see if I can get it optimized while keeping all that stuff in there, i.e. the schema or a hex injection. It doesn't work. It all gets ripped out. Uh, hey, Clint, do you think it's important to be mindful of link velocity? Is that a real thing? And if so, how do you decide how many links to make a build per month? You know, I was just thinking about this today, Jeff, and that's an interesting question. This question is from Jeff Meekin, by the way. Uh, link velocity. For those who don't know, the concept is if you... Uh, link velocity is a pace at which you build backlinks. What no one's been able to articulate or say is it the pace at which you build backlinks is that your true link velocity or is it the pace at which google finds your backlinks uh and anyone who's been doing seo for more than a day knows that those are not anywhere close to each other so if i build a hundred links today uh and google finds my links at an average of five links a day, then my link philosophy is five links. Right? Um, And so that... uh, (laughs) Threw me off. Um, So so your link philosophy is five. And I've I've built, um, and I'm still, I'm currently building uh, a couple sites right now and building links to them using um, automation tools, using link building tools. And, I, and I, I'm not going to tell you how I'm doing it um, other than to say that I'm using link automation tools that are supposedly don't work anymore. Uh, and this tool was, uh, it's GSA, um, but I'm building them in certain ways with certain settings inside of GSA. Uh, and I'm and I'm ranking like gamebusters. Like every three days, the websites go up another three percent, positive, in a market that is extremely competitive. Uh, and I'm doing five hundred of these websites, and I'm seeing I'm seeing this consistently a three percent growth rate every two days. And as y'all know, there's been an update recently, and I and it works through through that. The link philosophy on those is roughly 100 to, you know, plus or minus 20% based off of the uh, error rate of the tool per URL. So, but what is my actual link velocity, velocity that Google's running? My force is anything with PR I gotta have a measurement, so it might as well be PR. In, in, in GSA, it's gotta be PR. It's based off of the Yandex thing, uh, and it's kind of an equivalent, supposedly. Uh, I doubt it, but you know that's what we got. Um, 
The ones with PR one and above, I'm forcing a re-index or a recrawl with colinkering. So Google knows those, and roughly 20, 30% of those are probably recrawled, if that. It's not very many. Um, scraping lists and with sites that allow or, or that GSA can still do, um, it's a little bit harder, right? Uh, so the link philosophy in there potentially could be 30 or 40 links a day because I'm forcing Google to go see those backs. If I didn't do that, my link philosophy would be limited to the amount of recrawls uh, and uh, acknowledgement of backlinks on other people's websites versus how many links I built today. And, and that's kind of the, the the conundrum of link velocity uh, and, and how you should do it. I personally, when I'm building out really good links, I'll go 10 at a time, see what happens, 10 more, see what happens, 10 more. Um, the most I've ever done at one time in really good links is 20. Uh, just because I'm kind of in a hurry, I know that it's going to be at least you know 40 to 60 links at least before I start seeing anything, so I might as well build out 20 at a time. Um, and that's kind of my standard link philosophy. But uh, short of that, I don't necessarily think link velocity matters unless you're forcing re-indexing and recrawling. And then you got to be a little bit more cognizant of what you're doing. Let's see. Sean Wright, 31 minutes after you start streaming, YouTube tell me you're streaming live. <laughs> that's that's awesome. Stupid notification button. I'm a, I, in, my, in YouTube's defense, Sean, I did just kind of, I started it and go... Um, there was no music, no introduction, etc. like normal. Uh, let's say, JS, I'm playing with Flex Hex. You can inject JavaScript payload into pixels. JSON is JS, so it should work. She can't figure out how to trigger Google Tool to read it. If, I have to look at Flex Hex. Matter of fact, let me just open it. Um... Flex X. Flex X. Okay, this is the editor. Cool. So, inject the payload. JSON, is, JSON works. I can tell you for a fact that it works. You can't figure out how to trigger Google to read it. The problem is, wherever you're uploading it, they're altering, altering the, the hex code. Um, I would, I could actually show people how to do this. However, comma, it was a, it's a, it's a hack essentially that was used uh, years ago, um, to inject malware into images and then send that malware to, um, unsuspecting victims. So I'm not going to teach it because there are a-holes out there. You can figure it out yourself. It's a relatively simple hack, but it's one that's pretty much taken care of. Um, so that being said, Wherever you upload that image, it cannot, absolutely cannot alter that image in any way. If it does, it'll rip that schema right out of there. It'll rip the schema, the article, whatever you put in there. If it alters it in any way, uh, it's gone. Um, so you can't upload it to WordPress. Uh, if you have a image optimization plugin in there, uh, you can't do it if you have one that resizes images for placement on your on your um, 
on your on your website, uh, you have to upload it for the exact time you need, and then you can upload it to AWS. And you don't necessarily you don't have to use an iframe. You can you load it from directly from the image of the of the place, um, and then uh, you could put that onto um, schema the schema testing tool and it will read it. You don't have to even use the iframe part. You can just use, put the schema testing tool, the image actual URL in AWS or Google cloud or Azure. Uh, and it will, um, the schema testing tools will read it. You cannot put it anywhere else that doesn't, it, that alters that image in any way. If it alters it in any way it's gone. It's a waste of time. Um, so my recommendation for you is just probably stick with the uh, AWS cloud stacks uh, and use those images in there if you want to test to see if it's uh, worth your time or not. A lot of people that have taught me that uh, method or have talked about it says that, have said that it works. I want to do some you know some testing on it. I don't want to teach how to do it. Um, just because it could be used for evil, but it's you know at the end of the day anything can, right? So, um, I, I'm I'm probably gonna go go through with the test and, and and show it off and see if it'll actually do any good. Yeah, that ain't gonna work. You wanted to upload to competitors GMB with a link. Yeah, that, that's not gonna work. As I just said, Google strips. Exif data, it'll optimize the image, it'll change the image, and it'll be gone. So that won't work. Like save your time, save you right now, save you some time right now, JS. That that is not going to work. It gets stripped. Uh, the most you could do with someone else's GMB, and really, I don't know why you would want to mess with someone else's business like that. Is um, do something like Holly Starks was talking about where you can um, use adult photos and then um, she put an overlay over the adult photos, make them opaque. So um, Google sees the adult photo, but whoever is looking at the actual image doesn't see the adult photo, and then they penalize the um, the GMB for that. I know that was actually being a, a taught method to a bunch of people. And what really sucks about it is... One, as a business owner, you won't know it's there. Um, you'll see this weird image and be like, what the hell? Uh, and you won't understand it. And you can't delete it because it's a quote-unquote customer thing. So you got to read it shot to Google and hope that maybe they'll get around to, re- to removing it, uh, which is a – it sucks. That's a, that's a really crappy thing uh, for people. All right, let's see. And that's it. Looks like there's no more questions. Thank you all for joining me. This 46 minutes, a little bit longer than I wanted to, but I think it worked out. We got some good questions. Uh, I appreciate you all, as always, keeping me entertained here. Uh, next week, I I got to buy the phone number. I got the cord. Got the So I just got to get the phone number. I'm going to do some tests with my buddies and see if I can get the uh, the call feature working on my uh my road podcaster pro and then we're gonna start doing the call-ins live show call-ins uh that's gonna be really really cool i and and based on doing that uh we'll see how it works uh and the the level of interest into it Uh, but the podcast and and everything is going to be probably two hours long 
But I'm probably going to do it every other week. Uh, just so that everyone who has the opportunity to call uh, wants to. Uh, we'll see how that works. We'll see if the call volume picks up, and, and we'll see how fact how fact how that goes um, for um, like the interest. Like this is something new. Never tried it before. The whole live call in. Hey, you're on the air um, thing. Uh, so if it works out, then I am. I'll go all in, and we'll spend two hours uh, so that everyone gets the opportunity, regardless of where you're at. I know some people will start their day in Australia uh, listening to the show. I know other people in Europe close out their day listening to the show. So I want to make it uh, as best as possible that people can call in. Europe and Australia, obviously not too sure about international phone calls. It might be a little expensive. Maybe we can plug in. I can do something with Skype uh, in that case uh, so that you can call in via Skype or something like that just to save you some money or the voice over internet pro call or whatever. Yeah. So um, I'll get some people in Europe and we'll try to figure out the, the pricing and all that stuff so that it makes it better. Why do I, why am I doing that? One, you guys know I don't, I occasionally pimp my own shit on the website on uh, on the show, uh, but mostly I just want to help people out. And two, I want to have a show that's actually useful to you to you all, right? So if I if it's useful uh, to all of you, you'll keep coming back, and eventually maybe you want some help, and you you want to pay for me to do the work for you, or you want to pay for some consulting time. That all that all benefits me. And on, on the flip side of that, I'm just not here flapping my gums uh, like the rest of the talking heads in the SEO industry telling you what you should do um, when uh, in general generalities. When we can actually just talk about your website, and um, you don't have to come in here and say, "Hey, this is my website. This is my URL, and all that stuff." Find an example website that's kind of doing the same things like yours, and we can go over it and look at that one, or we can talk about that one, uh, and you can get uh, your questions answered in a cool way that's a little bit less, uh, more personal than the videos. Uh, probably even better than the webinars uh, and that kind of stuff. And, and um, you don't have to show up with all kinds of cool technology and turn on your webcams and all that madness. You just dial a phone number. So uh, we will, um, again, I'll get that figured out. Phone numbers or Skype, I can do both. I can actually have you call in on Skype and I can record or push you through the road um, through my computer. So that won't be a, a problem uh, either. So that's um, that's it. Appreciate all y'all, and I will see you next week.